Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends and well-wishers. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score of the I'm Pat Podcast. And as of next week, he will be an intern at Nick Offerman's wood-making camp, woodworking camp, sorry, in Hell Los yeah. Angeles. Congratulations, Jay. Oh, I like that. I'm down for that. That sounds wonderful. It does sound like it would be a really good time, and I think he'd be a really fun dude to hang out with. I have no wood wood making skills, but he's the guy to teach me, I suppose. Right? I mean, if there if anyone's going to get it out of you, it's probably going to be him. I would think so. If anyone's got a shot, it's Nick Offerman. Thanks for joining us here on the Madhouse Podcast. Email us madhousepod at gmail dot com. We're on Twitter at madhousepod, Instagram madhouse underscore pod. Uh, look us up on Facebook. The URL is way too confusing. Buy some of our merchandise, damn it, madhousepodmerch.com, powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. And for all things Madhouse Podcast, go to madhousepod.com, including if you'd like to order a signed copy of my book, 
the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Chicago Blackhawks, madhousepod.com slash book. All right, we're going to do, this is a full-length podcast, but we're going to obviously start with uh, Friday night's loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. Hawks lose 5-3. They get a late power play goal by Carl Soderberg to make it a little more respectable. But, buddy, that was that was about as ugly of a game as we've seen from the Hawks all year. And unfortunately, it's been a uh, continuing trend for the Blackhawks the last few games. I know that kind of our optimism was high after the Saturday victory over the Blue Jackets. It was one of the Blackhawks' probably most complete victories of the year. I know that they weren't overly satisfied with it, but they won the possession battle. They won on the scoreboard. They won everywhere that mattered in that game. And then they promptly went to Detroit, had two what I would consider two pretty rough games, even though you did walk out of there with, you know, all the points. I thought that the Detroit series, they look kind of rough. And then tonight, once again, the Carolina Hurricanes proving that they are one of the best teams in the NHL, just outclassing the Hawks in a lot of different areas, exposing a lot of weaknesses of this team. And as we go along here, man, we're starting to see the power play start to fade a little bit. Kevin Lankinen had a really solid game tonight, but not stopping everything that gets fired at him. And you saw what happened. The Blackhawks end up giving up five goals to the Hurricanes losing this game. Just not, It has not been a great stretch of a couple of games here for the Blackhawks, and they have to be really careful because this can, this thing could start to get away from them a little bit, especially in a division like the Central. I, it's, it's so funny that that's where you started because, uh, as everyone knows, you and I don't really talk about what we're going to talk about before we start. We sort of do the show organically and, and naturally react. And that was my thought, too, is hidden in those four points the Hawks got from Detroit were two of their two more of their worst games of the year where they were at the mercy of a horrible, horrible hockey team. A putrid hockey team that had seven goals scored on them by the Panthers tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was very concerning. And, and you know, part of me was like, well, you know, it's Detroit playing not to lose and just trying to be stifling and, and hold on and keep it close. No, that wasn't really the case. Detroit was dictating that game most of the game. Uh, and then you saw it tonight, and, and it, it's this game looked different. The Hawks, look, I said to Hope, just to, to resurrect an old-timey word, the Hawks looked like they were pussyfooting throughout this game, where everything was kind of soft. The entire mm-hmm. approach to the game was very poke-checky, was very extra-passy. There weren't a lot of guys interested in doing any battling in front of the net on either end of the ice. I thought they played a very soft game, and I don't know if that's trying to be perfect. I think sometimes you see that, like they know they have to play a team well and can't make mistakes, and inevitably when you play that way, you make a ton of mistakes and lose, but they just looked very, very timid in both in, in all three zones, really, but there was just no driver. I don't know. They just seemed sort of disinterested in this one. Which is very, very strange. You'd think after those two games against Detroit, you somehow escape with four points that you didn't deserve. I don't know. This was... I am a little concerned because it does feel like, okay, maybe now reality is coming back to this team a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what we expected games to look like, right? Like, okay, they got some firepower. Maybe they get a power play goal or two. They can keep it close, but... um, yeah, the last three games are very, very concerning for me. And now we've got to sit on this one until Tuesday. I was going to say, yeah, now they have to sit there and kind of stew in their juices about the this game because they do. for those Blackhawks fans who 
did not hear the broadcast tonight or see the schedule. The Blackhawks were originally supposed to play Carolina tomorrow night, but the NHL has postponed that game so that the Tampa Bay Lightning can actually get back to playing hockey, and the Central Division teams can kind of start to claw some games back. The Blackhawks have played, I believe it's four more games than the Hurricanes have played so far this season, and that's kind of a common theme through most of the divisions. So the NHL, obviously, given the Blackhawks, you know, a couple extra days off here. Really interested to kind of see how they come back out of that. Just the the last three games have kind of been the the sum total of a lot of things that people kind of observing the Blackhawks were kind of waiting to see how they would respond to the a little bit of a downturn in goaltending, not a big downturn. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that Kevin Lankinen was going to fall flat on his face. And I frankly don't think he did. I mean, 33 but, saves. I mean, but well, actually uh, 34 and, and, because one was and he's also better. coming off of his first career shutout in the last game against Detroit too. So not a matter of Lankinen falling on his face. No, but what you are seeing is the power play struggling to get anything going right now. I was not a big fan of the way they were operating tonight. I know, uh, Colleton had made some kind of changes during the week in practice and didn't really like what I saw out of that tonight. I think they still have a lot of fine tuning and work to do on that. If that's something that they're going to continue to do. And then obviously the defensive breakdowns tonight, just everywhere on the fricking ice. You had Calvin DeHaan, who I thought had Oof. one of his worst games of the Brutal. season tonight. Nikita Zadorov continues to be a question mark for this team. I think that this game might've been his worst. He just w- hit the fourth goal that Carolina scored, the second power play goal by Nino Niederreiter, Zadorov just completely was slashing at him instead of trying to poke at the puck, and it did literally nothing as Niederreiter scored. It was a very lazy play and kind of a great summation of the way he's been kind of operating lately. Not a big fan of his effort. Obviously, a lot of guys on the defense you can kind of point to right now, and I know they're missing Connor Murphy. It's not easy when you're missing a guy of his caliber, but the simple fact remains the Blackhawks literally could not do anything to slow down the Carolina Hurricanes tonight, and they paid for it. And then they were not able to make anything happen on the offensive side of things. If they tried to come into the middle of the ice at all, basically those opportunities were snuffed out. And if you look at their heat maps the last three or four games, that's kind of been a prevailing theme for the Blackhawks. I don't know if it's a lack of size up the middle that's kind of doing that to them. I don't know if it's a change in strategy that they're trying to kind of get around the edges and use a little bit more speed. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I know they've got the points to kind of show that it is working. I'm going to say long-term it will not work from that perspective either. No, and you said a lot there, and I want to make sure I don't miss ever anything, but uh, I don't want to overblow Andrew Shaw's absence. Um, but they're missing him big time on the power play just to have someone who's willing. And you mentioned how uh, Detroit and tonight Carolina were forcing the Hawks outside. Everything was very perimeter. Even in the long possessions the Hawks had, it was Patrick Kane has the puck. He's circling around the net. They're going to pass it on the point a little bit, pass it on the boards, turn it over, and nothing comes of it. You've got to have someone willing to get to that net, and I think that's why you were seeing Ryan Carpenter on the power play. But I'm good on that. Try something different. <laughs> I don't, yeah. And he wasn't bad by any, you know, it wasn't his fault by any means. He had 224, I'm sorry, 255 of power play time. I just find something else. You just kind of tell somebody, go stand there. Go be there. Because having a body in front of the net ties up a defender. Mm-hmm. If you're, they're, they're thrilled 
to let you pass the puck around the perimeter and try for that low percentage point shot. Go nuts. You can have that all day, especially if no and, one's And Carolina gonna... does have a really good penalty-killing unit. Oh, no or, doubt. Do, do, do not forget that the Blackhawks did make them look bad in the last two games they played. Carolina came into that series as a top-five penalty-killing team. I do want to throw that out there in case fans think that this maybe is exclusively the Blackhawks playing poorly. Hurricanes do deserve some credit for that as well. Well, look, the Hurricanes are cup contenders, so I don't want to lose sight. They lost to a good team. This is a team that should beat the Blackhawks more often than not when they play uh, just by design. But I think I'm focusing on that perimeter play because that's been abundantly clear. And it's not all Andrew Shaw, but that's part of it. They don't really have a guy who has made his hay that way. And Hagel is willing to do it, but he only played 12, 19, six seconds in the power play. Why not give that guy a look? Put him out there. He's going to do everything he can to go win a board battle. That's what Shaw was doing, right? The retrieval. Eddie Olchek talked about it when, when Shaw was healthy. You cannot underestimate the value of puck retrieval on the power play. Have someone who's willing to go bust her ass and get it Brandon Hagel is the closest thing I've seen to Andrew Shaw on this team, and he needs to get some more power play opportunities, I think. And by the way, the second power play unit, way better than the first one tonight. Way not better. E- not even close. No. Like, and that's something we've honestly been pointing out quite a bit this season, and that's not to obviously knock guys like Kane and DeBrincat who are on that no, top power play unit, but the second unit really has been kind of the driving force behind this whole thing this year. Those guys like your suitors and your Kurashevs when they're playing on that in that grouping, and the and Dominic Kubalik obviously has gotten significant time with the first or the second power play unit mm-hmm. as well. That, that's kind of been why you've been able to be successful because it's really hard to defend two quality power play units. And the Blackhawks obviously have shown this season that they have that. But yeah, the second unit tonight was just such so blatantly obvious. They were performing better than that first unit. And I, I, what do you think the solution to that is? Is there something you kind of need to like pull a parachute right now? Like, What do you need to do to kind of fix that? I don't know. I I think I've said this for years. A lot of it is just keeping it simple and stop trying it. There were so many opportunities tonight, power play and even strength, where they had opportunities to shoot. Like There was a point where it it was the first period where Kubelik was one-on-one with the goalie, and he set a drop pass to Patrick Kane. Suter did the same thing in the third period where he was driving the net and tried to make a drop pass to Kane instead of just driving the net and putting something on Reimer, who wasn't exactly his best self tonight. No, I I mean, and I think that comes with when you see guys doing that, it's because they're feeling pressure offensively, right? It just... That was driving me crazy. It's like, you're getting so few opportunities in this game. You're one-on-one with the goalie. Shoot it. If you can't get a great shot, shoot it at his pads and and hope for a rebound. Patrick Kane will still be behind you, right, looking for that rebound. It's just, I don't know, the approach tonight and the two games against Detroit was very concerning, and uh, I I don't want to overblow anything. And Like we say, we always try to stay positive here, but it feels like the correction is coming because Kevin Lankinen cannot be Dominic Hasek and Patrick Waugh every night that's not a realistic expectation for any goalie right you know Patrick Kane had three points tonight he he literally did it all you know <laughs> and if, if he and it's unfair to expect that from him and to bring it and you know I think some of these young guys are going to have a little bit of a a reality check here too because now the league's aware of Pia Suter the league's aware of um of uh Kurashev 
they, they know what these guys are capable of now and are going to plan for them a little more. Uh, again, they're better than we thought. They're more competitive than we thought. I don't think the sky is falling, but I think, like I said, the correction is well on its way because um, that series against Detroit to me was yeah, that was I'm like, oh, maybe Detroit's a little better than we thought. Mm, no, nope. <laughs> they're, they're absolutely not better than we thought. Well, there there is one guy that I think we do need to talk about at least a little bit. I've been getting a lot of comments about him, and I would love to kind of hear your uh, take on his performance lately, Jay. And that has been one Dylan Strom, who is he still on uh, the team? He's apparently still on the team. Hmm. Didn't have a single shot on goal tonight. Took a grand total of three faceoffs. That. God, you want to talk about an aberration. That dude was killing everybody in the faceoff dot to start the season and then completely lost the thread and now is barely taking draws. He has a grand total of one point in his last eight games, two points in his last 10, and he had in, he has had in the last, I believe it is, seven games. I counted this up earlier. He has a whopping eight shots on goal. His last eight, seven games. That's almost. You're hard telling to do. me that that dude can only manage a one shot on goal a game. <sighs> boy, oh boy! And you and I'm just I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Longtime listeners of this podcast know I have never been the president of the Dylan Strom fan club. Correct. His his absence of effectiveness has been very noticeable for the Blackhawks lately. And I would think it's playing a pretty sizable role in some of the struggles that they're having, especially at five on five. Well, you know who else is noticing this? Jeremy Cowden, 12, 20 of total ice time for Dylan Strom, nine Oh four at even strength. That is the team low for forwards. Uh, Only Nicholas Bodan had less, uh, had fewer uh, even strength minutes. He was eight 52, uh, at five on five, so nine oh four at five on five for Dylan Strome. That is a team forward low. Now he was towards the top of the team in Corsi percentage. He had a fifty eight point eight two percent, but he wasn't generating anything. It just was. I don't know. I. It's funny we talked about this. You'd mentioned the face offs. Like wow, he's winning seventy percent. Well, when you play the same team twice in a row, if there's someone you're sort of owning, and those line matchups are staying the same, you're going to keep owning that guy, right? And then you're right. You play somebody else, and then well, not so much, and then and it sort of evens out. But it's very concerning, Dylan Strom's last stretch. And you know, I've been a fan of his. I'm glad they resigned him. I liked what I saw from him early this year, but he's been a non-factor lately. I mean, you need more from him, and I don't want to hear about he's on the third line or whatever. I, I don't care. They've been putting him with so they've been putting him with a lot of different guys. I would not blame the line placement for the struggles of a Dylan Strome. No. You can't. That's not what it is. He's just not he's not been effective. And we talk about perimeter players, and there's no bigger example right now than Dylan Strome. He just is I don't know, he's not there there seems to be zero confidence, zero zip to his game. And no, he's not a fast skater, but when I say zip to his game, you know what I mean. Uh, attacking, aggressive, um, you know, committed to generating chances, and you just haven't seen that from him, and it's frustrating. That it's very frustrating because you need this guy to be a part of things if they're going to have any chance of being competitive this season. Now, you can look to the off season. Maybe it's a guy you can move. Who knows? I don't know how important he is in the future with the emergence of Suter and with Doc and with Tave still around and all that stuff. We think, um, but 
for this team right now, Dylan Strome needs to be more effective for the Hawks to have any sort of success. Uh, we're a little behind on reads, but I want to remind everybody, Lent has begun. That means the Icelandic cod is available at Marishka's, and you need to head out to Crest Hill and visit our friends at Marishka's 604 Theater Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. They are open for dine-in if you're ready to do such things. If not, carry-out is an option as well. Go try the Icelandic cod. If you're Catholic, if you celebrate Lent, whatever. Do you celebrate Lent? Is that how you say it? I don't know. If you observe Lent? I think it's observe. I think that's the... Yeah, you don't celebrate Lent. That's not a celebrating We're bad time. Catholics is what we are. <laughs> we are. If you observe Lent, the Icelandic cod at uh, Marishka's is great, but the poor boy is what put them on the map. Go check out the poor boy as well. But everything there is terrific. The steaks, the chops, the seafood, uh, the, the craft beer menu is terrific. Everything at Marishka's is great. You will love it. 604 Theater Street. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go visit our friends at Marishka's. And anytime you go visit one of these establishments, make sure you tell them you heard about them on the Madhouse podcast. All right, God, James, I love the Zadralovich family. They're the best. They're the best. And I want to say, before we wrap up our conversation about uh, the Carolina game, there was one good thing to come out of this one. Oh, boy. So I'll be whistling that for the next three days. Just so everybody knows, Brass Bonanza, because of the Hartford Whalers uniform, is that the Hurricanes wore today. Uh, Brass Bonanza will be in my head for the next 72 hours. Um, Two things to this. One, I totally bought a hat with Pucky the Whale on it tonight, so that should be getting here soon. <laughs> nice. And then second, I did want to get your take on this, Jay. The gray jerseys, I think you and I probably agree they're green. Whalers jerseys superior to these my I agree obviously my favorite Whalers jersey is the navy blue but I digress right okay so I mean well I'll probably still lean green over that but that's not something we can really get into a heated argument about because they're both amazing to me at least Mm -hmm. my curious my curiosity with this is the NHL determined that the gray jersey is effectively a colored jersey, so they had the Blackhawks wear white. I was worried about that going into the game. Watching the game didn't bother me much. I still think the Blackhawks should have worn red. What do you think? It's funny. I didn't even notice that. Until you said that, I hadn't even made that connection that it's gray versus white. Hmm. I think the helmets make a big difference. I would agree with that. I think the green definitely makes it pop more. That's probably a good call. At least the pants, too, obviously. At least as someone watching on TV, I think the helmets make the difference. Because I remember one, excuse me, one of the Hawks Winter Classic jerseys had a black helmet with a white jersey, and it threw me off. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I think when you're wearing white jerseys, you got to wear white helmets. So I think that's I think that was 2017 in St. Louis. I think that's correct. And I, I think that's part of why maybe I didn't notice that they're both wearing light colored jerseys today. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you if you would have asked me, I would have said they should wear the red before the game. I didn't even make that consideration. 
Yeah. I posted it on Twitter. I noticed one of the uh, Canes beat writers or one of their employees had pointed out that that was going to be kind of a matchup of lighter colored jerseys. And I was thinking to myself, they really should have had the Blackhawks wear the red or I don't know wear the reverse retro jersey. Are you ever going to bust those out Blackhawks? I'm assuming they would rather debut those on home ice, but you don't have fans. What does it matter? Like, we're 19 games into the season. The Blackhawks haven't worn those jerseys yet. I'm really curious to see when they're going to eventually bust them out. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall them releasing any sort of, like, jer- like, jersey schedule. Sometimes they'll do that. Sometimes teams will do that. Uh, but I don't remember seeing that. So. I will say tomorrow afternoon in the uh, Lake Tahoe game, the Avalanche will be wearing those uh, Nordiques throwbacks. Good point. Hold that thought because I want to get to that after we take a timeout. But before we do, I want to tell our listeners about our friends at Dr. Squatch Natural Soap Company. You saw their ad on the Super Bowl. You want your skin and hair and beard and teeth and everything to sparkle and smell good and all those sort of things. Well, Dr. Squatch is your one-stop shop. Go to drsquatch.com. Peruse their items, the soap, the hair care kits, the toothpaste, the deodorant. I just ordered some new deodorant today because I'm running low. DrSquatch.com, when you're ready to check out, use that promo code MADHOUSE20. The soap is where Dr. Squatch makes their hay. My favorite, the Cool Fresh Aloe, the uh, Cold Brew Cleanse. Those are some of my favorites, but all their bars are great. Take that Squatch quiz on the top right corner of the page, and they'll help you pick out the scents and the textures that suit you best. DrSquatch.com. Check out, use that code MADHOUSE20 to save 20% on your order and support the podcast at the same time. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mm-hmm. Mmm, grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. I participate in McDonald's. You know, it's just continue to play the music. Uh, I, I wouldn't get tired of it. Uh, this is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've been talking about the Blackhawks' loss on Friday to the Hartford Hurricane <laughs> Blue whatevers. That that was rough, that game was. Uh, I was making fun of Jay during the break because he's gotten Brass Bonanza stuck in my head now, so I will be humming that through the rest of the podcast. I apologize to everyone in advance. Jay, when we went to break, we had kind of, I had scratched the surface on Lake Tahoe, so to speak. And the fact that the NHL is going to be playing a pair of games this weekend with the, with the, uh, sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche taking the ice on Saturday, and then the Flyers and the Bruins doing the same on Sunday. And you got a little, uh, miffed about something. And I'm curious, Jay, what's troubling you? Lie on the therapy couch. Let's talk. Tell people about it. <laughs> a large percentage of my Twitter following follows me for hockey. I would say 60%, somewhere in there. Maybe that's even conservative. Okay. 
Um, I put a poll on my Twitter account and said, are you aware? This was yesterday. Are you aware that there are two outdoor games in Lake Tahoe? Lake Tahoe. Lake Taco. Yeah. I'm getting my podcast mixed up. Uh, <laughs> hey, I almost called them the Columbus Avalanche, so I can't really say anything. Two games in Lake Tahoe this weekend. Are you aware of this? 60% of the people on my Twitter said no. That's a problem. Have you seen the photos from this freaking game? It is going to be amazing. It's beautiful. It, it looks like the rink looks like Mystery Alaska with bleachers on one side and wilderness on the other. But the wilderness is mountains and a beautiful lake. The setting could not be more perfect. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's a game. You've got to tell people there's a freaking game. I'm on hockey Twitter all day long. And I don't, I'm not seeing sponsored tweets or anything like that. Like, if 60% of my Twitter audience doesn't know there's a game, that's a huge, huge problem. And I recognize that the NHL presentation this year, like the graphics package on NBC, is a little more minimalist, which is fine. But when you've got a huge event, a huge weekend planned, you've got to let people know about it. And they're failing miserably in this. And I can't wait for the ratings to come out. And and then all the snarky reporters see hockey was outrated by whatever inferior sport. There was a darts tournament on it. It had higher ratings than <laughs> hockey because no one freaking knows this is happening. No one knows this is happening. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, I... I have not obviously conducted a uh, poll, so I don't have the scientific data to back you up on that. You know where I've seen ads for this nonstop? NHL TV. That's it. That's like literally the – I've seen like a handful of ads, obviously, on NBC Sports Chicago, maybe one or two on NBCSN. But for the most part, the only time I've ever seen ads for this has been on NHL TV. So you would assume that that – you know, probably comparatively small chunk of the hockey watching populace has seen the ads, right. but you're not appealing to co- to casual fans at all, which is the entire <laughs> flipping reason you play yes. outdoor games. That is the purpose of the outdoor game is to get people who wouldn't typically watch to watch. So advertising on NHL.TV doesn't really help your situation. <laughs> I do. I do want to ask you this. I saw... An interesting comment. I'm trying to remember who it was from. It was somebody, I believe, from TSN. I'm totally blanking on the name. I apologize to this journalist. He pointed out probably Gord something. It was <laughs> the the most Canadian of all names. Yes. Uh, so Random Gord has he asked a bunch of players if they had memories of playing, you know, outdoors and all the nostalgia and stuff. One guy yeah, no. that he talked to out of both teams <laughs> had any memory of playing outdoors. I'm wondering if it's starting to lose a little bit of luster with the players for that reason. Well, I think it's tough for the players. It's not a great environment to play in. And they've always said that, right? Like, it's hard to see the puck because there's no natural backdrop. It's, you know, the ice can be a little bit tricky. They're obviously freezing cold. Those things sort of make a difference. But you're right. Like, you can't just go play on a pond anymore. That doesn't really exist anywhere aside from, you know, the few amount of kids that come to the NHL like, from the true wilderness of Canada or whatever. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, like my, my buddy uh, Bill, his kids play for the Vipers or like little travel players, and they just happen to have a little pond in their subdivision. 
So his kids go out there and they sweep it every morning and they skate on there. But that's a pretty low percentage. Of, like, mo- for the most part. Now, if kids showed up and started randomly skating on a pond, some woman, some Karen would call the police on the kids <laughs> and they'd make them stop. Like, it's just it's just not like that anymore. That you, ice is too thin. Get off of it, Johnny. When's the last time you saw kids playing street hockey or street football where they're playing, you know, five kids on a side either playing football or hockey in the middle of a street and the car comes, everyone scatters to let the car go by. Okay. Back. That's all I did as a kid. Kids don't even do that anymore. It's Man, just, we're, different we're getting now. dangerously close to get off our lawn. Territory no, but here, here, but here's what it is though. When we were younger and it's not a criticism, it's just a, a, a change of the time. Kids now are they're in everything, right? Like it's it, in sports are year round for like organized sports are year round for the kids more right. than ever. And there's training and there's camps and it's just nonstop. So when they have free time, they don't want to be playing more baseball or hockey or whatever. They play so often. Like when I was a kid, I when I played Little League, played three games a week. Maybe we had one practice and that was it. And that was the, the that was the, the extent of our commitment. Now, even for younger kids, like kids at his age who play softball seriously, it's like a five day a week commitment now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just it's just a different time. So I, I think it makes perfect sense that kids that were born in the 90s and even the 2000s now just didn't play, just pick up hockey really with their buddies. It was everything is so organized now. And I, and I think that's the difference. It's, it's again, it's not a criticism. It's just it just is what it is. You want to know the last time I honestly saw anybody playing street hockey in the uh, village of Bourbon? Yes, I do. When my buddies and I were playing it a couple of years ago, just to kind of, you know, screw around a little bit. And we had a net and some sticks and a puck. Like, it was us. Like, we were the, apparently, we're the old farts who are still doing it. No one else still does. Well, we used to do it, um, Chris Hubble from Triple Threat Sports and a bunch of guys from the score would get together. And there was this, um, this place in Lamont. It's probably still there. But they just threw down, like, sport court and they had the, you know, like the curtain dividers, they would just lower them. We would just play, we'd play street hockey in there, we'd play floor hockey. And it, even that was something we had to pay for. It was indoors, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. But yeah, just, I think pickup sports for kids, like you just don't see kids in parks playing anymore. And yeah. I really, and it's not a, they're playing video games instead, maybe. But I think, no, they're mostly it, playing organized sports nonstop, nonstop. And it's a different level of competitiveness now than it ever was when we were kids. Yeah. So, so anyway, the the whole point of this is <laughs> yes. Sorry. A that the nostalgia of it obviously is you know pretty aw- or the the scenery is going to be awesome. The nostalgia is starting to wane a little bit because a lot of the guys who are kind of coming up now, all they've known is playing in ranks. They have never really known playing on ponds because everything like Jay keeps saying is hyper organized, and then they're seemingly not really you know, advertising this game to casual hockey fans. Like I'm kind of, I think they're missing the boat with that because this scenery, this is beautiful. Look, this is such a smart thing. The NHL is doing. What are you going to do? You can't have fans. You had to cancel the winter classic. You had to get rid of the stadium series game. Everything's kind of turned upside down because of COVID. What do you do? You go to a place. There is no way in hell you would ever go 
for a game under regular circumstances, you take the game to the most ridiculous locale you can think of. That is brilliant on the part of the NHL, and now they're stumbling at the one-yard line. They're Leon letting this damn thing. Yeah, just I, – I, and I don't know. Like I know part of the problem is that people don't – it's very rare that people sit down and watch TV anymore, right? Like, to I, this show is on, so I'm going to sit down and watch this show. People watch their shows on demand whenever they want. The, here's, here's what I watch. For, like, from the moment they come on until they're over – Live sporting events and Saturday Night Live. Those are the only things I watch live. That's it. We actually watched the um, the new show, the Young Rock, about mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne Johnson's childhood and life. We actually watched that as it came on, just coincidentally. And I said to Hope, like, this is the first time we've sat down for a show that's on live that we can't fast forward through the commercials in I don't know how long. By the way, that show was really good. I really enjoyed it. I heard good things. I have not watched it yet. It was great. I really liked it. Um, but yeah, it's so. So I think the problem is maybe NBC is showing commercials all day for it, but they've got to get creative in their. You know, they got to be in people's faces on social media. They've got to have promoted tweets and Facebook posts, and they got to get in people's faces. And if I haven't seen anything. And if you haven't seen anything, if 60% of your audience on Twitter is not aware of things, that's a problem. That is a huge issue because we are hockey nerds and we are pretty much exclusively followed by hockey nerds. You hit it right (laughs) on the button there. Yeah, it's true. It's damn true. All right. Before we wrap up, uh, I have an email here that I want to address from our guy, Kyle McCandless. First, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop. And frythecoop.com. It's it's so close. I had it for the Super Bowl, James. I had the popsicle chicken legs, and I am just dying for more Fry the Coop. The Tinley Park location is close. It's coming in March, and it's almost March. Go get some of the best damn hot chicken you've ever had. Fry the Coop, Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and like I said, coming soon to Tinley Park. Go to frythecoop.com. Place your order. Go pick it up. You walk up to the window. They hand you the bag. Boom, you're in and out. Super safe, super easy. Fry the Coop is handling this pandemic beautifully. How do you know? Because they're absolutely thriving during a time when most businesses are not. Go support them. Frythecoop.com. Chicken tenders, chicken sandwiches, chicken and waffles. If it's Nashville hot chicken, Fry the Coop has it, and they've perfected it. Trust me. I'm a fat guy. I know. I love Fry the Coop. Fry the Coop. Dot com place your order come get your happiness at fry the coop all right here's an email from kyle he says hey guys there seem to be a lot of hawks fans that are upset about our relative success this year i would assume those folks are in the tanking mindset i am completely against the idea of tanking on principle and wouldn't risk the draft lottery odds anyway that said i also have a hunch that a top three pick isn't the golden ticket that many people think it is few would agree the general value of the top picks, but I think we overestimate their impact. I'm curious how we could evaluate the impact of top three draft picks on struggling organizations. Isn't it as easy as comparing team wins before and after top picks? Do we need to look at team success by other means? How do we bring evidence to the tanking argument? I guess the big question is, would tanking even work? That's a really good question. And I, I mean, it's hard to quantify because you could say to the Blackhawks, like, well, they got Taze and Kane in back-to-back years, 
and all of a sudden they were good. But you're ignoring Duncan Keith, who was a second round pick, Brent Seabrook, Corey Crawford, all the other things that made those teams Stanley Cup champions, right? Look at the Edmonton Oilers. They've had the top pick how many times in the last 10 years, and they're still this middling team, not to mention they have maybe the two best players in hockey on their team. Yep. And it's still not enough. So it's really hard to say. But the reason I brought this up, this email specifically, Pierre Lebrun did a really good job, uh, wrote this on February 12th. So it was last week, Friday. The NHL is considering changing the draft lottery format. And there's a lot of reasons. Uh, He cites 2017 when the Devils went from earning what should have been the fifth pick to first. The Flyers went from 13th to second. And the Stars went from 8th to 3rd. In 2018, the Hurricanes went from 11th in the standings to 2nd in the draft. In 2019, the Kirby Dock draft, the Blackhawks went from 12th in the standings to 3rd in the draft. And last year, the biggest thing was Detroit finishing 23 points behind 30th place Ottawa and dropping to 4th in the lottery. Now, 4th is still a pretty good pick, but when you're that much worse than everybody else, you got to get that first pick. So there's there's some things being considered uh, in terms of changing the uh, draft lottery. And I think I kind of welcome that. And there's a lot of formats going around. There's a lot of people with some really good um, sort of outlines for it. Um, but I think that tanking, to answer the question, it's so counterintuitive. And I think it's hockey's a tough game to tank in, aside from just building a crap roster. It's also a a game where getting the top overall pick doesn't necessarily mean anything either, which you have kind of elaborated on really well, I think. Yeah, it, it's not a guarantee. I mean, when you look at last year, you had Jack Hughes, Capocacco, and Kirby Doc, and Doc had the best season of those three. Now, Capocacco is not been playing great, if you have not noticed. And also, do want to point out the number one overall pick this year, Alexis Lafreniere. One goal, zero assists, 15 games. And that was the, you know, everyone wanted to tank for him. He was supposed to be the next huge thing. And maybe he will be, but it's not an instant fix for your team. It's just not. I'm just trying to look at the, you know, the first overall picks here. Uh, Hughes, Rasmus Dahlin, but Buffalo hasn't been great shakes. Uh, Nico Heeshier, really good player, right? Like uh, Austin Matthews, really good. Connor McDavid, awesome. Really good. Aaron Eckblad. But I'm just saying, like, all these teams I'm naming, Florida, Edmonton, Toronto, New Jersey, Buffalo, they just haven't been saved by this number one overall pick. It just hasn't worked out that way. Mm. So, no, and I, and I don't disagree with you at all on that. I think that tanking, obviously, you have to do a lot of other things right to get the tank to work, which obviously the Blackhawks did. They went out and they got veteran guys like Nikolai Hobby Bullen. They were able to develop guys like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. And then they went out and got the big-time free agents like your Marion Hosas and your Brian Campbells. Like There was a lot that went into it, so... To me, tanking obviously is not the solution to everything. And as we've seen repeatedly the last couple of years, it doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything. Of course, this is all coming from a guy who would just as soon get rid of the whole NHL draft in general. So what would you do? Free, sign them. Just sign them to contracts. Free agency? Yeah. Oh, that would be a disaster. 
Why would that be a disaster? Well, like, why would anyone, you have a salary cap? But why would anyone go play for the Panthers? Or why would anyone would, go play in an undesirable? They wouldn't have location? a choice. Why would it? You wouldn't have a choice. You eventually have to sign with a team like that if everybody runs out of salary cap space. Uh, that's tough. I, I want you to. I want you to lay this out for me. Next podcast, I want to hear the James Naveau model because I'm the James Naveau model for getting rid of the draft. The model for mayhem. I'm. You know <laughs> how often do I say I love chaos? I am here for all the chaos. Bring it on. Fine, I will. But that's tough. That's that's gonna be a tough sell for me to just get rid of it. Okay. Um, but I, I'm I'm interested. I am extremely interested in this plan. I want to hear it very very badly. But yeah, I think the idea of tanking is tough. I I know it's maybe being a little bit meatballish with this comment that hockey players won't tank, but I think that's kind of true. Like they're they're and all pro athletes are competitive as hell. They don't want to lose on purpose. You know, I, I I don't know. I I've never been in love with that idea, and. You never know what's going to happen. Like, just look like the this year's Hawks are a good example. Like, we thought they were going to be, they, we thought every night was going to look like tonight, right? We thought every game was going to be, oh, my God, just please get to the final horn so we can stop watching this. And after the two, first two losses to Tampa, you and I were like, okay, it's going to be a long year, but we're going to stay <laughs> pot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we were, we were pleading with people to not just completely tune out. And they've been way more competitive than we thought they'd be. So uh, it just things just don't go as planned. And I think trying to tank that almost never works. It trying never to tank works is out. all it. And it. I mean, we obviously. I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are probably screaming at their computers or whatever, saying the Cubs tanked and it worked. Yeah, the Cubs also went out and signed John Lester. They also went out and traded for Jake Arrieta and Kyle Hendricks. It's not like they you know, just completely lucked into Chris Bryant and everything was fixed. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. It involves being a smart GM and a smart organization. And especially in a team sport like baseball or hockey, you can't luck into a, you can luck into a generational type talent like a Connor McDavid. That doesn't necessarily mean Jack squat. This isn't the NBA guys. No, exactly. There's too many players to uh, the, the, the Oilers are proof. As you said, you have McDavid and Dreisaitl and all these stud players, and it gets you nowhere. It, it proves you that tanking doesn't work. You've got to be, you got to draft well, regardless of where you pick. You've got to be creative with your signings, and that's something that I think Stan Bowman has been really good at with the Panarins and the Gustafsons and the Kubaliks and the Suiters and on and on and on. He finds this talent in different ways. And that's the way you stay competitive. Um, and, and so if you get the first pick or the fifth pick, or whatever, make the right pick where you pick. And more often, I think those teams that draft well are the ones that remain on top. So I think it's pretty simple. I am, I am team. No tank like now and forever, especially in hockey. You know, it would get rid of tanking. What? Get rid of the draft. <laughs> I can't wait for this. <laughs> I need it like laid out. I want a whole. I want James Navo's TED talk on why the NHL draft should be. We could have. We could do it on YouTube or something. We'll do it on Hot Mike, where you present <laughs> to everybody how your plan to eliminate the draft is going to work. Because I know you are not an idiot. You're a smart guy who's thought this through, and my brain can't get there. 
So I want I want you to connect those dots for me, and I I will gladly join you in the land of chaos. I cannot wait. <laughs> so I I want this whole thing laid out. Okay. All right. With that, let's wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We always appreciate it. We appreciate your continued support. Trying to think of when we're going to be back. The Hawks play not till Tuesday now. So maybe we'll do a post game on Tuesday night. If, it, if James and I can't both do it, one of us will do it. And uh, it'll be great fun. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to our uh, social media channels. We're at Madhouse Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. I've been producing... Uh, some podcast videos and stuff to promote put up there. So we're getting more active on the social media. So join us there. You'll appreciate it. And make sure you check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com. With that, I'm going to wrap things up. For my partner, James Navo. my name is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side, got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side, looking just so good. Mm-mm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. I participate in McDonald's. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.